Welcome to another episode of the EmissionBlog.com podcast. I'm Nolan. I'm Matt. And today we continue our series on Millennium Muscle Cars with the return of the Hemi, all the way from the introduction of the Dodge Magnum to the modern day Dodge Demon. Alright, how are things going, Matt? Things are going well. How are things with you? Not bad at all. I'm ready to talk some Hemi. Been waiting for this one. Let's do it. We got a lot of Hemi to share, a lot of Hemi to get through. Let's do it. Um, like I said, uh, so we're, dodged. Yeah, so we, we're probably going to split this one up into uh, two episodes just because there's a lot of stuff to talk about. This first episode, we're going to talk about the LX platform, uh, which was, of course, the Chrysler 300 Magnum Charger eventually spawned the Dodge Challenger. Um, but in this episode, we're going to focus mostly on the, the 300 and the Magnum. Uh, we'll start off with the return of the Hemi. Do you remember the return of the Hemi engine and all the ads that went along with it? Oh, yeah. I think it was originally, it's like it was 2003, I believe. It was in the Dodge Ram first. Um, and that was all those, I don't know, you remember those commercials that like, that thing got a Hemi? The, like redneck guy? Oh, yeah. Classic. Like, yeah. Yeah, those are classic. And, uh, yeah, I just remember like those were everywhere. Um, and then they... So it was interesting. They they brought that engine back. Hemi all, just means hemispherical heads. Um, all that means is like you know half circle for the heads, it's supposed to aid in combustion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that was a big thing. You know, it was mostly a marketing push, but it worked. I remember how big of a deal it was back in like the mid early two thousands when the Hemi came back. Uh, it was like a huge deal um, in the industry for that to come back. Um, and a lot of that was all because of the LX platform. So there's all these rumors. You know, the first thing you think of when you think of LX, you think of when Daimler and Chrysler merged. And that was when, you know, Mercedes was supposed to use, you know, it, on paper it sounded good. It was, it was, oh, you know, the Mercedes is going to use their technology, bring it to Dodge. Dodge is going to have all these cool Mercedes parts. Um, yeah. That's how we got the uh, Crossfire, some of those goodies. Um, and eventually the Dodge Sprinter as well, because that was a Mercedes vehicle. It stemmed out of that. Um, so I read some stuff through a bunch of engineers talking about this, because there's been a lot of, you know, talk of, oh, it was a Mercedes E-Class. I don't know if you remember that. You probably thought that too. Like, oh, it was just, uh, people used to always say that, oh, the Charger and Chrysler 300 is just a Mercedes E-Class that's like warmed over. Yeah, yeah. E-Class with a Dodge body on it. Mm-hmm. And that was because, uh, you know, everyone said, oh, they use the same parts and, you know, certain, and there, there were certain parts that were shared. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of the engineers and the stuff I was reading on kind of give a different story. Um, one of them was Burke Brown. I think he was, uh, the director of the rear wheel drive platform in terms of the engineering team. And he describes it as they would just kind of, they would go to, uh, to Germany and they would just kind of hang out with all the engineers on the Mercedes team and they would kind of drive the E-Class and they would be like, oh, why'd you guys do this? You know, they'd look at drawings of the suspension or the transmission and they would go, why'd you guys do this? Why didn't you do this? And um, I guess that's more of, it was more of a collaboration when they were designing some of the LX platform stuff that would go under the 300. It wasn't really a, oh, here's a bunch of old parts, just use what you can, Dodge folks. It was more of a... Right. Which makes sense. I don't think a company would just be like, 
here's the body of an old E-Class. Use it for your your stupid job, you know, Chrysler wagon. Um, yeah. There's a chassis from an E-Class. Do what you can with it. Mm-hmm. And I guess they had always, so I think the Chrysler 300M originally, remember that baby? I know you and I love the Chrysler 300M. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you were all about those. I still love that thing. I have a, I think it's on my Craigslist alerts still. Um, yeah, find one of those babies in cherry condition. Um, so I think the original plan for that, they wanted to try to make the 300M a rear-wheel drive car because uh, that they, they thought they could do it. In the end, it was going to cost too much, and so the 300M was, of course, front-wheel drive back in, like, the late 90s. Um, mm-hmm. So they, I guess they had started specking out something that would look like the Chrysler 300C, um, like a rear-wheel drive big sedan in the late 90s, and they had, like, no money, essentially. So Mercedes' deal with the Daimler whole partnership, I guess, gave them the, the resources so they could just actually do it right. They had the right transmission. I think the uh, Chrysler... 300 used the transmission from the uh, E-Class. So they had a lot of these parts that they could just kind of plug in and make it work a lot earlier, um, which is cool. So fast forward a little bit. That's kind of the early 2000s. They're working on this platform. The first car to debut, um, I do remember this vague, you know, I remember the concept vividly, but I don't know if I was actually at this LA Auto Show. But 2003, LA Auto Show, Dodge Magnum SRT8 concept comes out. Um, I just remember how, like, that car was such a big deal. I don't know if you remember, like, just... Yeah, totally different. Totally different than anything they've ever done. Everybody was talking about it. Everyone's like, oh, what a cool, like, cruising, like, beach car. Or, I don't know. Like, in the time, it was such a cool, like, boxy-looking wagon with kind of a crosshair grill. And, um, mm-hmm. and I, I like said, I remember it being at the auto show, at least in pictures, you know, uh, and that's the thing now is I, I even doing research for this episode, like I struggled to find anyone with a picture of the Dodge Magnum SRT8 concept. I'll put a few in the show notes, but you think, oh, 2003 wasn't that long ago. At least we do, but now we're old. Um, uh, that was high school for us, but you'd be amazed at how much stuff just doesn't exist pre like even YouTube. Like there's no video of that concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, pre-cell phone, or pre, like, iPhone in 2006, I think was when that right. iPhone came out. Um, but there's still a few pictures of the SRT8 concept, and there's some rolling, like, stock footage from Chrysler. And, it, I mean, it looks good. I mean, it's essentially what we got when it fa- finally came out. Um, but the, so the actual, uh, so the bigger news, so the, it was a big year for, for the platform. So Magnum was going to be the first car to ride under this rear-wheel drive platform, um, it was the return of the Hemi. I think it was marketed as a Hemi. Um, but the first actual car, um, to show that off the Hemi was in April of that same year, 2003. And that was the Chrysler 300 C concept debuted at the, uh, New York auto show that year. And like, if the, if we thought the Magnum SRT eight was big, the Chrysler 300 concept was like a whole different level of chaos. Um, Heck yeah. That was, I'm trying to think, like, that car looked like nothing on the road at the time. Like, do you remember the excitement? Well, neither did the Magnum, really. There wasn't really any big American wagons out there, but Mm -hmm. everybody's just, everybody loves the big sedans. And it's funny, I'll try to find the quote that I pulled. It was, like, from some magazine, and they were trying to uh, compare, 
the cars to the modern day equivalents of like what they were being compared to at the time. Oh, here it is. It's uh-huh. a uh, motor trend, uh, in 2003. And it was when the, uh, I think it was Chrysler 300. They're talking about specifically, but it was talking about both of those as step aside Mercury Marauder. This is the true successor to the rear drive Impala SS muscle sedan throne. <laughs> like the, just, it's just, wow. yeah, that's what it was being compared to is a Marauder, which I love, but it was, is a piece. Like, I love the Marauder. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a good car, but I'm just saying, at that time, like what we were dealing with in terms of muscle cars, uh, I know we already talked about the, um, around the same exact time, the Pontiac GTO in the last episode, but to think that a Mercury Marauder and Impala SS was like the last car they could even compare this to was, is kind of crazy to tell you how things That's were. That's true. That is pretty sad. Um, and the design, I'll talk a lot about the design because I think the design of the Chrysler 300 is, I think it'll go down, um, as one of the most iconic cars of our lifetime. I mean, that, that was just, it's pure kind of Americana. Um, a lot of people, uh, credit Ralph Gilles, which we love Ralph Gilles. He did, uh, he, we do. He's responsible. We try for, and follow him to every show that he goes to. Yeah, exactly. We looked so we met him at the Alfa Romeo event, um, at Pebble Beach this past year. Um, he was just in Pasadena this past weekend, uh, and I missed him, unfortunately, but, um, he'll, he'll say, so, uh, he was part of the design team. He just started with Chrysler 300 design. Um, he doesn't take complete credit. The, uh, the designer that worked on it, uh, primarily is Freeman Thomas. Um, most people won't have heard that name unless you're in the industry. Uh, but this guy, I was looking at his, his sheet of what he's been responsible for. Uh, and there's a couple on here that you'll appreciate. Mm-hmm. So he did the new Beetle uh, back in the 2000s. He did really? The, yeah, he did the Audi TT, the original Audi TT. Oh, no. So, he, I mean, this guy's done a ton of iconic work. I mean, if you just think about the new Beetle and how iconic that was when it came out in the 2000s. Um, well, same with the TT. That thing was legendary. Everybody loved that car. Yeah, exactly. And we think about it, they're almost exactly the same shape, <laughs> the Beetle and the new Yeah, Beetle exactly. <laughs> So he goes from that until the Chrysler 300. Um, and there's a video I'll link in the notes too, but it's Ralph Gilles talking about, uh, so he got, you know, he's a Canadian. He grew up in Montreal. He went to, uh, college creative studies in Detroit. I think he, he always wanted to work at Chrysler because he loved the Viper, which I think is what anyone, uh, would go to, you know, at the time, like the early nineties would go to Chrysler for, um, but I guess just as like any other designer, he said he started designing like HVAC controls in the Chrysler LHS sedan, which is kind of funny. Like that's a, oh man, that's a lot of, uh, that's a, that's a rough gig to start out on. That's a rough, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, someday I'm going to mail him one. I'm going to like find an old HVAC system out of Chrysler LHS and just like pull it out and mail it to him. Ask him to sign it. Probably <laughs> just weep a little bit. Yeah, exactly. um so he like said he he obviously took an increasing role you know he did the cab forward designs of the 90s all the cloud cars all that good stuff and then so he kind of partnered uh with uh freeman thomas in the studio three uh i guess chrysler had seven different studios back in the uh in the heyday i think one of them was in newport beach too unfortunately got closed down during the uh, bailout stuff but so they worked together still there we'd be working there yeah, exactly. We go and uh, check out all their good stuff. Um, the 
other cars that Freeman Thomas did. And around the same time, you got to think of all the cool concepts that Chrysler and Dodge came out with around this time. There was the Dodge Slingshot and the Tomahawk, which is the motorcycle with the Viper engine in it. Um, yeah, that thing. That that was oh man, I I still love that thing. Like I see a hot, I think I have a Hot Wheel somewhere in a box of that car. Yeah, I that bike. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think he created these iconic designs, and I think Ralph Jules always says that he was the one that just supported it. Like I, he saw the design, he worked on some elements with it of the Chrysler 300, and he fought for. He'll say he fought for the. Um, like the high, the high uh, waistline, I guess, because the windows were kind of narrow. Compared mm-hmm. a lot of other cars, that had this really high waistline and huge grill and kind of menacing gangster stance. And so, um, Ralph Gilles always talks about that. Um, he was more responsible for like supporting that and getting that. And so, he definitely was an important part of that. Um, the Magnum, I guess, um, you may remember this. The Magnum was actually just kind of an afterthought. It was it was the Chrysler 300 wagon, uh, essentially. Yeah. They didn't really put too much effort into it. They just put a bunch of Chrysler 300 parts in it and made a wagon out of it. Yeah. So, you know, that, that car is probably like, it's become one of the more iconic cars, really, uh, because yeah. uh, it, it was just so unique. But if you hear certain people talk about it, it's it's more of like a, or especially Ralph Gilles. I don't think he was really responsible for the Magnum. Um, I'll have to find the designer who actually did that. It was the guy who was in charge of design at the time. I'll find his name here. Um, but yeah, the Magnum was kind of this uh, Trevor Creed. That is his name. So um, he's the one who's responsible for the the kind of Magnum. But it was more of like, oh hey, we're going to make this wagon Chrysler 300 in Europe how can we sell it in the States? Let's make a Dodge version of it. And they ended up kind of really, you know, uh, they described it as a family flexible sport wagon. Um, and all these terms that were like nothing, nothing you know, like I said, there was no wagons at the time. They compared it to like the Chrysler Pacifica, which is a great line. Uh, when I was reading Ooh, this, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dieter Zesche, I think is his name. That was the guy who was the president, uh, uh, when uh, Daimler took over, but he, he's like, Oh, Dodge Magnum is a new shape of American muscle with its innovative packaging, performance and utility. There's nothing else like it. While the Chrysler Pacifica is the premium sports tourer, which is ridiculous. No one described it as that. (laughs) The Dodge Magnum is a performance sports tourer that packs a powerful punch in the functionality of an all wheel drive sport utility armed with a Hemi inside and rear wheel drive. Dodge Magnum delivers power in a package that offers unmatched flexibility and versatility. So, um, I remember they really pitched the, uh, you know, in addition to the Hemi, um, they pitched this, like, I think that they played with the, that thing got a Hemi or how much that thing got, what's that thing got in it? I think that was a commercial and I'll link to that too in the notes. Yeah. The commercial was like, what's that thing got in it? And then some guy would be like, oh, I have a surfboard and a bunch of wood. Like it was, they were like playing up the fact that it could also haul a bunch of crap in the back of the wagon. Um, that's yeah i mean still to this day if you try and find an srt8 magnum for sale it's you just can't find them people bought those things and just put them in their garage for storage for like you know to sell in 20 years yeah i think that's the part is that car seems so iconic but it really was only on sale for four years it was on sale from 2004 to 2007 um yeah which is nuts actually no 2008 I, i take that back 2004 2008 so four or five model years 
uh, is it. And, you know, to me, like I think about that car, I don't know. I thought it felt like it was around forever, but it was a really just one life cycle and then it was gone. Uh, Which is unfortunate because we would have loved to snag one of those things before they ran out. Yeah, I think the design kept getting better and better too. Not like the design was ever bad, but I think it, uh, you know, it got dated a little bit until they started updating it with like the different hood slots on the grill and stuff, um, mm-hmm. or on the hood. Well, just imagine a new one with a new Dodge front on it. I think it would be so cool. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, it's. We'll talk a little about the Hemi too. Like, so the Hemi was back, and in these cars it had, I think, the five point seven liter uh, Hemi had three hundred forty horsepower. Which for the time, again, we just talked about the uh, Pontiac GTO being the muscle car that came back around the same time. And I think it started out with that 5.7, same size, uh, Corvette LS1 motor. And mm-hmm. that thing had 350 horsepower. So you got to think about 10 less in this wagon um, with a super loud Hemi V8. I mean, it just, it was such a crazy time. You think about, you know, yeah. It's just, there's nothing like it. I mean, there's so many boring front-wheel drive cars in the market, especially the American market. Um, I can't think yeah, of it. Yeah, it was all, It was just great to see, like, a powerful rear-wheel drive wagon. I mean, when was the last time pre this car that we actually got a powerful rear-wheel drive wagon? I mean, like, there wasn't really anything. Yeah, it had to be in, like, the 60s, really. I mean, the, the, sure, there was, an yeah. Impala, there was an Impala wagon. In the nineties, I'm sure. Early that's 90s, true. But that's, no, that's about the last one, I think. Yeah, and that thing was kind of a dog, um, right? So it was just you know, so their new like so their new Hemi had more power than any uh, than the original street Hemi in the sixties. Uh, it was more efficient. It had like this. It was one of the first engines. There's a lot of like technology first in the Chrysler 300 and the Magnum. It was the first to have that cylinder deactivation. I think in the in the uh, in the sedan. Um, where it cuts down to four cylinders to save gas. Um, That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, so like it was one of the first ones to have that. Um, and so let's see. Um, we'll talk about the um, Chrysler 300 a little bit more too, because just how uh, so the 300 was the regular uh, regular car. 300C was the Hemi version. Um, mm-hmm. And just like the, the design of that car, and I think Trevor Creed said it best when he when it came out at the 2003 New York Auto Show. It's uh, he said it's a high it's high time somebody did the classic American car right. So I think, and it was you know it, to me there's nothing that kind of says Americana in the last like 30 years more than that car. Uh, I mean, to me, it no, it's just a big a big four door sedan. With a big engine, that, there's nothing more American than that. Yeah, and, and I think it's ranking. You know, that's, yeah, I think if I think even just like in the modern area of American cars, like the Mustang and cars like that, I have to lump the 300. Like if you told me pick the 10 most American cars in the last 30 years of our mm-hmm. lifetime, it's got to be in that list, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it was just so different and so new. I mean, there was nothing like it. And you remember how big uh, that car got just in pop culture? I mean, like, you know, Snoop Dogg had one, like the big timers had one. Yeah. Every rap video became. And then everybody got got super into them and started putting Rolls Royce front rows on them. Yeah. And, like, 
putting 28s on them, and they were huge. They got, I mean, it, just because it was so affordable as well, that it was a such an American car with a lot of power and affordable, and you could do endless amounts of stuff to it. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, there were, even if you go to the shows now, like, they're modified to hell, but, uh, you know, whatever you think about yeah, it, whether, true. you know, suicide doors and whatever, but, I mean, there was just such a crazy culture around that. You know, there was a dub edition, for God's sakes, like, I don't know if you remember that. I think the, char the Charger and the I do, yeah. 300 had a dub edition. Um, I remember those and then seeing all the die-cast models that they made of those cars, and they were all over. Yeah, it was like slammed Hemi Ram trucks and like dub edition 300s of Magnums were like such a huge deal. Um, that's kind of interesting, like pop culture or just culture in general uh, is like this car appealed to like, doesn't matter if you're like, you know, somebody like Snoop Dogg or you're like an old retired white person, like you were way into whatever, you know, it was just it sold so well because it applied to everyone. Like I know my dad wanted one, my, yeah. my grandparents wanted one. The like, owner base was so diverse. Yeah. I mean, they sold, I mean, it's peak. They sold 144,000 of them in 2005 and they stayed at the hundred thousand mark for a while. I mean, which is crazy at that time. I mean, for the, a year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the biggest year was also 2005 for the Magnum and it sold 50,000. So you gotta think, you know, more than double, uh, of that for the Chrysler 300. Um, yeah, almost triple that, which is just nuts. Uh, which I, I, it makes sense. And I think the top part of the Chrysler 300, um, and we'll get to that, but so then we have, um, and we'll go a little bit forward. So the, the cars both come out, they're huge sales success, uh, for, for the Dodge and Chrysler brands. I remember they were everywhere. It was, you know, for the first time in a while that Dodge had this, um, and I grew up and I loved the Dodge brand, um, I had an Avenger and things like that, but I kind of longed for like an actual performance muscle car from Dodge. There was just nothing really. I mean, they had the Viper and stuff, but that's a different, that's not really a muscle car. That's a different genre. Um, and so that was super car back then. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was a, you know, 200 mile an hour car, I believe back in the day. Yeah. Um, so that was a different thing, but the days of the Challenger, the big, huge sedans, uh, I didn't think, you know, I always dreamed of a Challenger and we'll get to that later, but I didn't, I don't think I dreamed of, you know, now looking at it at the time, I think I, I love those cars, but I didn't really dream of those cars, you know, like at the time you didn't dream of like, oh gosh, I wish there was a four door sedan with a big power plant in it. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of why it came out of nowhere. And I think that's why people liked it so much just because it was just something new that they hadn't seen in a while and, and so refreshed and just something different. Yeah, I agree. I think it, uh, it was just so different. That was both cars. I mean, they had like kind of a one, two punch, you know, around the same time they had this, a wagon, which drew attention, you know, in Europe, they've had them for a while, of course, but here they just didn't have them. And maybe that's kind of the, I think that may be part of the reason too, that it was this European inspired platform. Um, and so then you have this European inspired sport wagon that becomes kind of American. Um, and then you have this gorgeous American sedan, uh, that was just, I don't know, like, so you had a one, two punch of like just being so different, gaining so much attention, yeah, um, which is, which is crazy. Took, took America by storm. That's even, it reflects in the sales. Yeah. Like it just took off and then 
continue on the performance, I remember, so <laughs> this is uh, this is nearly impossible to find pictures. I didn't find any pictures, but I would love to find pictures of this. Um, you know, this is well beyond before we started going to the Pebble Beach Concours, but the Chrysler 300 SRT8 uh-huh. actually debuted uh, in August of 2004 at the Pebble Beach Concours. It was at the on the on the golf course, um, and that's where they debuted. It's interesting because Pebble Beach is more you know European style. It's it's different for an American car to debut there. Yeah, like I said, the crazy thing is that who knew the Chrysler engineers at the time even knew that Pebble Beach Concours existed. I yeah <laughs> i don't know what they would have brought before then uh, who knows um but it's just it's kind of a cool you know i don't know they're playing right into that whole thing of you know we're taking the europeans by storm we have this huge menacing looking and i i, I still love we got into wheels talk one of my uh friends brad um he has a hellcat uh challenger and we were talking about just the different wheels on the srt vehicles and i I love the SRT eight Chrysler three hundred wheels. I think they're like a ten spoke. Oh yeah, um, uh-huh. and it's one of the spokes has the engraved SRT into it. And it just looks so good um, on that car. I love that. Yeah, and the cool thing was is it was huge and super powerful, but yet it had like it had like Lazy Boys as seats inside. So you got it. In, it was super comfortable and still just super fast. Yeah. So that so that engine uh, it was a six point one liter uh, Hemi, so it was kind of a bored out version of the five point seven. Uh, that that bumped the horsepower to four hundred twenty five horsepower, which was just at the time in two thousand four. Like I said, the uh, in the like we said in the past episode of the, of the GTO that had four hundred and I think four hundred four hundred dead when it upgraded to the six uh, its six point one liter engine, um, the Corvette motor. So this had 25 mm-hmm. more horsepower than the Pontiac GTO kind of muscle car. Uh, it was just a, it's an animal. I remember hearing the first SRT8 like just take off uh, in person. That's a great. Yeah, it's such a it's such an angry just like from a you know you, know, you go from like a Chrysler it's just LHS. I can't imagine being Ralph Gilles designing HVAC controls for a Chrysler LHS like a front wheel drive boat. Uh, for you know six years later he's seeing the srt8 sketches and hearing one of those start up i'm sure at the like chrysler proving grounds I, it's got the best feeling in the world yeah it's like winning the lottery um, yeah and so that car was huge i mean it really helped that that's i think the srt8 stuff like the, all these cars are great but i think when the srt8 models actually came out that was kind of when it's they kind of solidified themselves as like actual muscle cars because you had this, uh, oh yeah, yeah. It had more, just more feeling to it, you know, more of that menacing kind of angriness um, uh, going on with it. Uh, so, so yeah, it just made it more American. I mean, it, the whole thing back then was taking a regular car and just slapping the biggest engine you could in it, and that's kind of what they did. Is they took like a, an American four door sedan, and then a couple of years later, just put the biggest engine they could in it, and that's they're just bringing that, bringing back, bringing the heritage back. Yeah. And I think, the, so we'll talk more about this, and I know we have, we're trying to compare everything to Fast and the Furious, but uh, you got to think up into this time, you know, we were both in high school. Um, I was just finishing up high school, but up in my entire, like, school and leading up to it, you know, almost my entire, like, teenage life, the imports were kind of 
dominating like our our lives in terms of what was popular. We had the Supra, we had the Eclipse, we had Fast and Furious, um, right? I think you still had that too, right? You know, we're only a few years apart. That was pretty much all of my growing up, right? It's just everyone else loved imports. Oh yeah, yeah. Even yeah, in high school, it was all Fast and the Furious imports. I mean, the only American muscle you saw was really the one car in Fast and the Furious. Everything else, everybody focused on imports. Yeah, like I said, maybe, maybe, uh, uh, good old Dom is, is responsible for this. But yeah, like I said, he had that Dodge Charger, that angry old Charger in the garage. And yeah, uh, it was kind of like, oh yeah, it was a cool old car. And then this marked the shift of the imports that sort of died out. There wasn't really anything exciting in the t- late 90s. I mean, the late 90s was the heyday, but like early 2000s, you had the God, that eclipse was terrible. The third gen, I think, like the lines on the side. It was horrible. Everyone loved that thing. Yeah, the Too Fast, Too Furious one. Tyrese driving that purple thing, convertible, whatever that was. Um, But I think that was kind of the fading out of the imports. Uh, There's still some good cars, and people, I'm sure people are going to argue with us, but the, I mean, when that 300 SRT8 came out, that, I mean, I think everyone, all the fam, car enthusiasts, teenagers, you know, swarmed that thing and we kind of forgot about imports oh, yeah. pretty quick um, which is cool yeah i think so as well it's something i didn't see would happen um and it's cool to see the american companies finally come out and, and kind of put a ton of muscle and uh six months later so we talked about the, you know the srt chrysler 300 debut to pell beach and then six months later uh around the january of that year is uh again you know, two years after the concept debuted at LA Auto Show, the production SRT8 uh, came out at the LA Auto Show with the same, uh, similar style, same 425 horsepower, 6.1 liter Hemi. Um, it was just, again, just, <laughs> just even more crazy that it's a wagon and it could just blow the doors off of, like, I think it, at the time it could compete with the AMG stuff from like Mercedes. Um, and that's make- crazy. Yeah. It's crazy to think about. And so that was, just uh, nuts. Those cars are, are something uh, that I think we'll talk about looking back at them now, at least these two cars. The Magnum, yeah, it's unfortunate. It's gone away. I think it'll be a collector's item. Like if, And I remember those people, 2008 SRTs, um, there wasn't too many of them made for the Magnum. I think people would just literally, I've heard the dealer say that people would bring a trailer, back it up, buy one go park in a garage somewhere, which is, I understand because those cars are going to be worth so much money someday. Oh yeah. I mean, especially had, like you said, they're only around for four years. And of those four years, how many SRTAs did they make? Very few. Yeah. Especially that last year. I don't even know if I've ever seen one. Like, cause you gotta think, I think the 2008 Magnum SRT8 had like the kind of the indents in the hood. The styling was slightly tweaked, like smaller headlamps. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen an SRT8 of those. Um, and I don't I th- know if I have either. That's a, it's interesting to think about. I wonder if there's any on eBay or anything. Yeah, I'll have to look at it. It'd be interesting to watch those um, as they go. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so that car, I mean, that died out in 2008, unfortunately. Chrysler 300 has continued along. Uh, this, the restylings have been okay. I think that's the toughest part about that car is, when you have something so legendary, and I think Ralph Gilles has also said this too, it's kind of like, uh, how do you top that? 
Um, they stayed pretty safe. Yeah, exactly. Almost too safe, I think. I mean, it looks nice, but it's it doesn't have that same presence, I don't think, as it as it used to have. Um, I mean, the Chrysler brand itself doesn't have the same. I kind I just called out at no. a recent event. I called out the Chrysler guys. Just said, "What's going on? Like, you guys have two models." Because uh, they uh, right now they have the uh, their website shows three. So a Chrysler 300, a Chrysler Pacifica, and then a Chrysler Pacifica Hybrid. They try to split that into three models. Ooh. It is two models with a different trunk. Um, and so right now the only the only SRT8 Magnums on eBay. Mm-hmm. Or a 2007 and a 2006, no 08s. Yeah, like I said, I have no idea how many two, 08s they made, but there's there can't be more than Crazy. a few thousand. So what did what did the Chrysler designers say? Did they say they're coming up with anything new or they they kind of said yeah you know we're we're working on something we we're we're excited to be in this position too. <laughs> it was kind of like uh, okay, I mean they can't say <laughs> they can't say much, but it's kind of like. Yeah, it's like, what do you guys do? I know the, you know, obviously the 200 and only big cars are selling right now. Um, so they got rid of the 200. They got rid of, uh, the dart on those platforms. But yeah, it's just, yeah. To think of how Chrysler in its heyday was, you know, in the early 2000s had so many good models. I mean, we make fun of the Pacifica, but that sold well and it was a decent car in that segment. Uh, the Crossfire, the, you know, they've always had the minivans, but, uh, you know, they had so many cars and they've had some of the more iconic kind of concepts and stuff like that. I just don't know how you have a brand like that and just kind of let it go down to two models. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, even if you think about other sub-brands like that, like Lincoln was never down to two models in Ford. Um, yeah, I mean... I guess Pontiac kind of was, but... Yeah, in a world... Chrysler's a way more iconic brand. Exactly, and you think of like Gosh, in a world where mini, the mini brand has seven models or something insane or six, uh, and they all look exactly the same. Yeah, I just don't like. And now you have Fiat, and you have so many platforms to work with, and I just don't get it. Like, uh, I know worldwide yeah. they probably have a few more because I think they share stuff with like some of the Alfa Romeo or uh, whatever platforms in Europe. But I just don't get it. I don't get how you even let the Hemi or the yeah the Hemi Chrysler three hundred fade away a little bit there's no srt version of the, the current chrysler uh 300 right i mean they have some of those kind of mean packages and i think they have like a I don't even, i'll have to look up the name so i just saw one it's like that cement gray color with the blackout grill and the black wheels which i get it's like the s trim or whatever but uh, man like to not have that car was such an icon nothing anymore. um so i really hope I hope that we see something come back. Um, maybe we'll have to grill Ralph Shields with that next time we see him. It's just, what the heck, mate? Like, just push him into a corner and ask him some questions. Yeah, start grilling because I know it hurts him too. I know, I know the budget's going different places. You know, no one's. That's the, the tough part. Is uh, I still don't know how in the two thousands people were buying sedans. Um, no one buys a sedan anymore. They all buy, you know, compact SUVs or, or what have. So, um, yeah, exactly. I get it, and and the you know Chrysler Pacifica's minivan is selling well, and the plug-in selling well, and that's doing great for them. But what amazes me really, because I, I I thought vans would die out by now, honestly. Yeah, they have such a stigma. Yeah, I think in order to do one right, you have to kind of like I said when they when they came out with the plug-in electric before like 
the Honda Odyssey, and which is really the, one of the last players in the market. When the Pacifica came out, something, yeah. and I think when we talked to Ralph Gilles, uh, or one of the times we talked to Ralph Gilles, he's, we asked him what is most like, what design he's proud of the most, and he actually said the modern Pacifica because he thinks it it doesn't look like any other van. Um, which I mean, there's some truth to it's that. True. It looks it looks yeah. more sleek and it, but uh, yeah, I. I wish they put that same effort into something, you know, I don't know. I wish they had some. I'd love to see them have like a little renaissance, um, kind of like Lincoln or, or Volvo or one of those brands. More Volvo, I think, in terms yeah. of their, their market position. But Lincoln's been doing some pretty crazy stuff as of, as of late. Oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, they'd be happy to have a Lincoln transition, I'm sure, at Chrysler. And the brands are yeah. related. I mean, they're kind of for whatever they call hopefully, it. Hopefully Chrysler's letting all their models sell out with these two models that they have. And they're going to come back at one of these other shows with something crazy that nobody was expecting. Yeah, I think there's talk about them kind of taking advantage of some of the shared SUV platforms to kind of branch out and do their own thing. Uh, I really hope they do. hope we get another Aspen. <laughs> Better Aspen. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. The return of the bring, Aspen, I'm calling it now. Yeah. The, uh, with the Hellcat motor. It's going to happen. Ooh. Yeah. Speaking of Hellcat, uh, looks like <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll probably end this episode here, but uh, so we'll talk more about, yeah, of course, we're getting to the good stuff. We're saving the good stuff for the second half of this, uh, the series on the LX cars. Um, of course, the traditional muscle that, I had been waiting for it my whole life and they did eventually bring back, uh, came in the form of the charger and the challenger, uh, a few short years after the head. Yeah. And so we'll get into all the juicy details of that, uh, on the next, uh, second part of this. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of our discussion on where the LX platform started. Uh, it started from this great kind of collaboration with the, uh, Mercedes folks that eventually went sour, but for the time being, it helped us get, mm-hmm. get these cars quicker. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, two icons uh, started the whole thing off, and then the two muscle car legends uh, will we'll, we'll kind of finish it off. So, how does that sound? Are you ready to talk some Charger next, Matt? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Well, that's it for this episode, and stay tuned for more on the next episode as we talk uh, Charger and Challenger.